It's my privilege to be here with you this morning, to be able to worship the Lord, to be able to continue in our series uh, we're calling First. And uh, I'm excited you're back. Uh, last week, uh, we were looking at this whole 90-day challenge. And for those of you who returned uh, to hear the second part of the challenge, thanks for being here. It'd been weird if you weren't. Uh, we are going to continue in our journey here. We looked at this challenge that God gives. And I want to, right from the beginning, say that it really, it's not something that God wants from us. It's something he wants for us. And when we look at this challenge, it's something he really wants for us. It's a step of faith. It's a it's a journey. For me, it was a journey from testing God to trusting God. And it was interesting. I shared last week, and I just want to say it again, that that I was at a place in my spiritual journey where I thought, you don't put the Lord to, to the test, right? Don't put thy Lord I God to the test. And yet in Malachi, there it was as clear as day, the Lord's saying, test me and see. Test me and see. And this one thing, test me and see. If you, test, if you trust me with your finances, if you give of this tithe, 10%, uh, what, what I will do for you, what I will do in you, what I will do through you. And, and so this is what we're looking at. Christ proclaimed these words in Luke 6, 38. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And so it's interesting. We find this principle here, and this is the overarching principle of our time together in God's word. If we're generous, God will repay us in the same way. If we're generous, God will repay us in the same measure. I'm so thankful, by the way, to be a part of a generous church. Crosswinds is a generous church. It's a church that gives to the to one another. It's a church that gives to our community, our region, to the to the ends of the earth. In fact, I, I, was, I was thinking about how generous Crosswinds Inn is, and I was reminded of just recently how the school that we as a church helped uh, raise money for uh, at Children's Nest over in Zambia, Africa, that the school is finished and that the kids are going to be able to be using that school over there. And that's because of the generosity of Crosswinds in part. And so we're a very generous church. And so as I've been praying for us this morning over the past week, I've been praying that God would encourage, would encourage us to continue in generosity, first of all. That God would, would be with those who step up to this challenge, this 90-day challenge, to really step into it. <laughs> to trust God with this challenge and be ready for for what the Lord wants to do as, as, as you step into this 90-day challenge. And, and, and interesting enough, we've already have people who have done that. Like we've already had people turning in the cards and doing that. So the first fruit of this morning has already been done. So I've been praying for them as they take this faith journey. And for all of us, I, I just pray as a community that we would just commit to, to biblical generosity. Biblical generosity. Paul shares with the church in Corinth this, this encouragement to be generous 2,000 years ago. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15 is where we're going to be looking at in God's word this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. But let me give some context. There's a famine in Jerusalem. The believers there are in great need of help. And so Paul hears of this and he decides what he'll do is encourage the churches, many of them Gentile churches, to help their Jewish Christian brethren. And, and so he, he's going to raise an offering, and on his way, he's writing to the Corinthian church, which is just south of him, and it's on its way to, 
to Jerusalem, he's going to ask them to take up an offering, and he doesn't want to surprise them with it. And so he sends Titus, one of his young protégés, and a couple of other brothers in Christ, and and they go down to prepare the church for Paul coming, again, because Paul doesn't want to show up and get ready to take this offering, and the people go, we're not ready for this. We haven't prayed about it. And so he's going to encourage them, pray about it. See what God may stir you to do in this thing. And then we're going to take it, this offering to Jerusalem. And really what he shares with us are principles of cheerful giving. Principles of cheerful giving. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to just work our way through the passage here this morning, verse by verse for the most part. But 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he writes, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, he's really talking about the spiritual law at work in giving. He's letting us know there's a spiritual law at work in giving, that we think maybe giving is just simply giving, and he says there's more to it than that. There's there's a spiritual law at work. And he uses this familiar farm illustration to state the negative and the positive. He he makes a negative point and emphasizes the truth that a person who, who makes it a habit to give only a little shouldn't expect much more than a little back. But the person who gives generously, the positive point, can expect great generosity that, that there would be this uh, sort of this bumper crock uh, of, of God's blessing in their life. And he's applying the law of the harvest. Now, I've got to confess something to you. I was not raised in farm country. So everything I know about the law of the harvest is from people who have. My wife was raised in farm country. But I think it's sort of common sense, even for those of us who who didn't do any farming in our life, that if a farmer decided they were just going to put out a little bit of seed, it would be foolish for them to expect a large crop. But he's saying when you put out a lot of seed, the crop can be expected to be quite large. I, I had a friend after last service come up to me, and he said his father, who apparently was a farmer, or at least understood farming, said that he would always say that if a manure in a pile didn't do much good, but if you spread it out, it did a great bit of good. Now, some of the farmers are going, yeah, that makes sense. Me, I was like, that's sort of nasty. But as I thought about it, as I thought about it, I thought this is really true. And that's sort of what Paul's talking about, the spiritual dynamic. When we hoard the things that we have, trying to protect them because we're so fearful that it may be, what we have may be taken from us, it really has a little good to the kingdom, to to ourselves, to others. But when we're generous with it, when we're spreading it out, so to speak, God uses it to do amazing things. With this said, it's a mistake to think of the rewards or blessings as always being material. I want to be careful with that. Because I think, you know, we live in a culture that's so materialistic that we think the greatest blessing in the world is, 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 is some type of material blessing. And yet the reality of it is when I talk to people, the greatest craving of people's hearts is not that. It's what? Peace. It's strength. It's purpose. And Paul's writing about all of these things. In fact, my experience as a pastor for nearly 30 years now has been I've had an opportunity to observe people who... who Basically, career-wise, like are on the same path, they're doing just as well. The world would say they're equally successful, you know? I mean, they're doing well, doing okay. 
And yet one is a generous person and the other's not. And I've seen this play over and over and over again. And, and the person who's generous, they, they seem to have a quality of life the other does not. There's a peace and security and purpose there, but the other person doesn't have. I was thinking of a particular situation where they both were, were managers. And, and, and I know because people work for both of these individuals. One, one treated their employees as family the other is a commodity. You figure out which was which. You know which one. And so when we talk about being generous, of, of entering into this, this generosity of Paul and, and through really Paul, God is calling us to, there's a fullness there. Because it's, it's a journey of faith. And as we step out in faith and trust God, you heard me last week say, I moved from testing God, Malachi, test me and see in this, Testing him to trusting him. When, we, when we're on this trust journey, he fills us more and more with this capacity to be able to embrace his love, his peace. And, and our security is not found in the things of the world, but found in him. So Paul continues in verse 7. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I had a pastor one time, I loved what he'd say, he, he loved this verse, he would share it quite often, and he would say, there are people out there who, who think that, well, if I can't give cheerfully, I shouldn't give. And he said, no, you need to give and learn how to give cheerfully. I thought that was good advice. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But here's what we read. We read that cheerful givers give generously as they have decided in their hearts. And so Paul's preparing them, and through his words, he's preparing us. And that's why I didn't just throw this 90-day challenge out last week and say, hey, make a commitment. No, pray about it. In fact, if this is your first week with us and you weren't here last week, pick up the card, take it this week and pray about it. See if this is what God would have you do. Don't feel as if you have to do it. Don't feel as if I'm trying to strong arm you to do it. I, I, I don't even know who gives what? I, I'm, not, I'm not privy to that information. I don't want to be. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and God. One time I, I got a, I think I was in like maybe middle school, and I don't know why, but I got this letter in the mail, and it had a, a blessed penny in it. Honest to God, a blessed penny. And it said that I needed to send 100 bucks to activate it. I did. I, did. I got that. And, and, and I didn't spend a hundred bucks, but I did spend a penny. I didn't send a hundred, you know, so, but, but, but it was, it was a way of strong arming me, right? Like if you want the blessing of this blessed penny, you got to send a hundred bucks. It didn't seem like good math to me. So I didn't do it. It was something God was really asking me to do. But I'm, I'm, you get the point. It's between you and the Lord. It's what God wants for you, not from you. And ultimately it's not the, it's the decision, not the dollar that creates a cheerful giver. I want to be clear on that. But it's really, it, it's, it's, it's a way to test not just the Lord, but where we are in trusting him. So it's a decision, not the dollar that really makes the cheerful giver. It's, it, it's being on this journey. It's interesting from last week to after last service, the amount of stories of people just coming up to me and saying, you know, I've seen that to be true in my life. Story after story after story of how just stepping out in faith how God has just met them where they're at and in that journey, just this God-given joy of seeing him work and move. 
I'm encouraged by these words of Paul, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, cheerful givers give because they love God and others. I mean, think about it. Paul reminds us it is God who gives us our resources. And it is God who, who creates the grace for us to give. Every good work really originates with God. Think about that. That, that you can't outgive God. There's no one more generous than God. God gave his one and only son and that he's the one that supplies our needs. And so in essence, we're stewards of the things that God has given us, our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony. And that as we walk with him, he encourages us to use them for his glory so we can be blessed and bless others. But he's the one that provides that. And as we step out in faith, it, it just shows. Lord, we're trusting you in this. And, and, and just to be honest, it is a journey, is it not? Come on now, you're getting quiet this morning. It's a journey, is it not? Yes. I, mean, I mean, we trust God we come to him and we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We trust you, Lord, for our salvation. And yet, as we walk with him, it just sort of amazes me in my own life that like, I can trust God with my salvation, but I can't trust him with my pocket, my wallet. Can't trust him with my money, right? Lord, I can trust you with my salvation, but I'm having a hard time with trusting you with my kids. Lord, I trust you. Fill in the you know, with salvation, but I, anyone been there? Or, or we give it to the Lord, then we take it back? Like we steal those things that we were going to trust him with? And you know what? God is patient with us. Amen, church? And it's a journey. But as we take a step of faith, and then another step of faith, and another step of faith, we grow in that trust. We grow with the stories. I learned a long time ago because I'd see people with these great faith stories. And it wasn't really a profound thought, but it was, it was new to me at the time when the Lord said, if you want a faith story, you've got to be a person of faith. We want the story without having to take the step, don't we? And God says, no, 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 trust me. See if I won't open up the floodgates. 2 Corinthians 9.9, Paul says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Cheerful givers understand that their acts of generosity endure forever. And for me, this is, this is so encouraging because I don't want my life to just matter today. I want to be a part of something that really does ripple through eternity. How about you? And only God's kingdom allows for that. That when everything's said and done, I can't take anything with me, but I can share the gospel in the hope that other people will go to paradise with me. I, I can make sure my investments, so my time, my talent, my treasure, my testimony, focus on the things that allow people to know Christ and grow in Christ. And, and that ripples to eternity. That changes culture. That, that, that's, that's the type of stuff that all of heaven applauds. And then Paul writes in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Cheerful givers experience a multiplied ability to be generous. I, I love that, that God will provide us with enough not only to meet our needs, but also to help others. Now I want to speak to that for a minute. 
Because there are some out there that preach, if, if you give, then he's going to make you financially rich. And, and God may do that. He may not. Okay? And so there's people who fled to churches because they like hearing that message. The problem is when it doesn't happen, they just wonder if the whole gospel is false. And it's, no, that's not the gospel. That's false teaching. It says that he'll allow you to be generous with what you have. He'll provide your needs. And one of the most generous people I've ever known was my dad's mom. I called her my granny. My granny, you would, if you were to, to see the way she had lived, you would pretty much think that she was poor. And financially speaking, she really was. She thought she had had it made. She was raised in the hollers of West Virginia where she was really poor. So when she had moved to New Jersey and lived in these modest means, she thought she had made it. She was the type of person, when you walked into her house, she could whip up a meal quicker than anyone I've ever known. And it was a good meal. I mean, not good for you. It was Southern cooking. It was horrible for you, but it tasted great. I loved visiting her house. But she was the type of person you knew if you gave her something, she was going to give it to someone else. You just knew it. It became a joke in the family. You would get her something for her birthday, and then later when you showed up, you'd look for it because you knew it wasn't going to be there, and you'd say, hey, Granny, where was that thing we got you? And this was she would, almost every time she'd say something like this. Well, you know so-and-so down the road? She really needed that. And then you would give her something, you know, so-and-so over, they really needed that. She was so secure in Christ, she had very little needs. And she had very few things. In fact, the only thing I, I, I got from my granny is her Bible when she passed. And what a joy it is every once in a while to leaf through that thing and see her notes. She lived a full life a rich life, not the way the world would qualify richness, but she impacted countless lives in her modest little life. It's important to remember, God does not divine generosity by amount, but sacrifice, not merely money, but our time, talent, yes, treasure, and testimony, that, that when we look at what we have, we say, well, I don't have much to offer. A little bit in the hands of God is a lot. In fact, I was sort of blown away how God works. I saw my granddaughter, Jordan. Do you know I have a grandchild? I have two, by the way. I'd love to tell you about them if you want to meet me after service. But I was looking at what she learned in Sunday school, and guess what she learned about? The fish and the loaves. You know the story, right? God takes a little bit and does a whole lot with it. I thought, isn't that cool? That's what they're learning up there is we're talking about what God can do with a little bit in our life if we just give it to him. It's almost as if God's working in our church. Paul addresses God's purpose in really loving and giving to us in verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Cheerful givers understand that the purpose of God's giving to us is that we too might be givers. Think about that. That God gives so that we will give in our journey with him. That the, the great act of even salvation is, is a gift that he expects us to pass on to others as we share our story. That's why our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to him. And he says, you steward those things. And when you step out in faith, it's amazing. It's amazing what God does in the midst of the life of a person who's willing to do that. 
mean, God always shows up. I think that one of the big hindrances is a scarcity mindset. I don't have much of any of those things. Well, if I give them, what, what, what if I need them? God's always comes through for what we need. When I was in the seminary, I was thinking of many stories about God just sort of showed up, and this one was so profound. And when I was in seminary, uh, we were in a trailer, and that's where we lived, and, and the hot, hot water heater went. Now, I'll tell you two things. Number one, we didn't have the money to fix the hot water heater to get a new one, and nor did I have the capacity to fix it myself. I, I uh, am not very gifted in such things. Um, if you know Steve, who's on staff here, he's extremely gifted in that. I'm the opposite of Steve. Like, I'm the anti-Steve when it comes to fixing things. But we didn't have a lot of money, and so I, I knew what needed to happen. I went down to Home Depot, which was right down the road, and I told the gentleman there. And, and we borrowed Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. I don't really know what that entirely means. It just meant we took money for something that was supposed to pay for something else to put a hot water heater in. I'm not sure where the money was going to come for the other thing. And so I went down to Home Depot, and God provided me with an older gentleman there who was very patient with me. I said, sir, this is what's happened. I need to put a hot weather here, and I don't know what I'm doing. He said, well, you'll be back here a few times, and I'll walk you through it. I went back at least four or five times that day. I'd go to a certain step and like, not know what to do, and I'd go back. He'd tell me, walk me through it. At the end of uh, what seemed like the longest day of my life, the hot water here was put in. And then Krista came in after getting the mail. Hmm. I said to my daughter in between services, I said, I hope I'm not a blubbering idiot like I was last service. So. And there was a letter from her home church. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but for us, when we opened it up and realized it was almost exactly the amount of the hot water here, I was blown away. I mean, I've been a pastor for over eight years. I was in seminary. You'd think I would have understood this faith thing and how God provides by that. But he showed up in such a remarkable way. This is what had happened. We found out from the letter that God had so graciously blessed the mission giving in her home church. It was so abundant. They were praying about what do we do with this money? By the way, there's a problem for a church to have. What do we do with this? And one of the people in the committee said, hey, the Coopers are down in seminary. I bet they could use some of this. And they sent us a check. Now, just track with me for a minute. Because this was snail mail, right? God had stirred their heart to give the money for the hot water heater before the hot water heater broke. And they sent the money so that it would come the day I put the hot water heater in. Not the day before, by the way. Not the morning of. After the fact. This is what I've learned in my life. I'm just going to be honest. Maybe your journey's been different. God says, step out in faith and see what I'll do. Not wait for me to work, then step out in faith. I've often prayed for the other, by the way. But that's not the way he works in my life. He says, step out in faith and see what I will do. I stepped out in faith, and I saw what he did. In fact, our kids were very young. We had three children, but only two of them uh, were born at that time. And we brought them in the room, and all they saw was their dad acting like this, by the way, crying and trying to explain to kids what God had done. Well, my wife and I were just blown away. 
And over and over again, God has been so faithful in those things. So faithful in those things. And as God does that, I realize he's not just doing that for my benefit. He always blesses us so we'll bless others. In fact, look at look what Paul writes. He, he, he sort of gives us overarching thought of, of the spiritual dynamic at work. And in verses 12 through 14, he writes, For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By this approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because there's a surpassing grace of God upon you. What's Paul writing here? He's saying, cheerful givers acknowledge their generosity is a blessing to others and brings glory to God. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Think about what Paul's writing there and how, how true that is. In context, there was this interesting dynamic in the first church that there were some who believed you had to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. And there were some Jews who still were sort of wrestling with the fact, is the gospel really for everyone or is it just for Jews? In fact, even Peter himself, you may remember the story. He goes to Cornelius's house. And when he shows up at Cornelius's house, who's a Gentile, the Spirit of God falls upon them just as he had on them at Pentecost. And Peter, who walked with Jesus, goes, now I get it. Have you ever felt a little slow on the uptake? We're in good company. He says, now I get it. the gospel is for everybody. And Paul says, as, as you send this offering to the, to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they're going to see how God's blessing you, and they're going to realize that, that you're part of the kingdom, and there's going to be this overflowing joy. They're going to pray for you. You're praying for them. The kingdom's going to explode with this jubilation of how good God is. It's our Christian heritage, way back to Abraham. What did God say to Abraham? I'm blessing you, but I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. Anything we have is a blessing that God wants us to use to bless other people. See, being cheerful gives proof of our love for God and others. It's a testimony to those around us. And then Paul writes in verse 15, he says, thanks be to God. He sort of wraps up this section. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Isn't that the truth? If we have nothing but Jesus, don't we have a ton more than we deserve? Isn't that enough? The hope of paradise. The, the, the very presence of God in our life from today through eternity. Cheerful givers understand that their generosity was ultimately exemplified by God through Jesus Christ. Paul brings us back to where he started, that when we look at God who says, I won't even spare my own son, I'll send him to die for you so you can have a relationship with me. He says, you can't outgive God. You can't, you just, it's inexpressible what God has done for us. And we get to be a part of, of stepping out in faith and seeing God work in our life and through our life to those around us. Inexpressibly so. I want you to take a moment and look up on the screen. Uh, Betty, who's our executive pastor, uh, had, a, had this amazing story. I said, you got to share it with the church. Of her experience of, of understanding this, this principle of cheerful giving. And as you're watching her testimony, I want you to remember one thing. What God has done in the life of one, he can do in the life of another. 
What God has done in the life of one, he can do in the life of another. So take a look at the screen. My journey of faith has many roots over decades of time. But through it all, God has completely changed my perspective on money. Through the duration of my young professional career, I measured success and found my security by the number reflected in my paycheck. But God would begin to change all of this in the year 2001. I worked in sales for a home electronics company, and I was attending a conference in St. Louis in September when I was pulled from the showroom floor and told they were doing some restructuring and I would no longer have a job. Essentially, I was just told that in a few months, our household income would be cut in half, along with my insurance and company car. And if this wasn't life-altering enough, I would also learn that the stock that I had in the company, my retirement plan, would take a dive and be worth only pennies. And I did not have a backup plan. I was angry, I was resentful, and I was afraid. I had worked for that company for almost 15 years, and now all the security and success was gone. The conference ended, and I found myself flying back home on September 10th. I remembered the airport being packed with several delays. And I don't know what time I finally got into Rochester and home, but it was very late. I remember sleeping in the next day, just to wake to the news that the Twin Towers had been hit. The anger and the resentment that I flew home with toward my employer immediately switched to shock and sadness. And at this moment, I was just grateful to be home and to be safe. Now, New York City was a part of my sales territory, and many of my customers knew the devastation firsthand. It was one of the most challenging times that I can remember. But God used everything going on in my life to change my entire perspective on what I considered important. One thing became very, very clear. God was faithful, and he would provide for me. I found temporary jobs in the month that followed. I was nowhere near my previous income, but I gained so much more in that year. We cut a lot of things out, and God began to show us what was really important. Something was definitely changing, and there was a different call on my life that I didn't yet understand. Now, my husband Tim and I had been attending Crosswinds Church for a few years at this point, and the Lord was beginning to surround us with godly men and women, which played a huge part in all of this. Just to make things more interesting, we also learned that we were expecting twins. So here I was, 38, without a secure job, our income had just been decimated, no retirement from my work, and we were expecting twins. But oddly enough, we were at peace. I began to rely on that verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways to acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And he would. Now the next few years were tight. I remember times when we couldn't pay to have the fuel tank filled and that was our heat. But somehow the tank never emptied. I remember Tim working two jobs for a while. Now, we had help from friends. Still, some are present in our congregation today. We took on many temporary roles, anything that would make ends meet. One company gave me full health insurance for just a part-time job. Another family let us rent their six-bedroom house when we had to downsize and move to Canandaigua, and they gave it to us for just a quarter of what it should have cost. Many people showed up on moving day to help us move with no expectations. So many stories of God's faithfulness they were on full display, all of these through his people right here at Crosswinds. We were so blessed through these times, and God taught us so much, but we had to lose what we thought was important to begin to see the truth. And it's during this time that we began attending and soon now leading the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. 
This was God's perfect timing as he guided us toward healing with new friends and mentors. And this is also when I finally understood that different call that I had felt years earlier. And so I took a step of faith and I began the journey of pastoral ministry. And it's easy now for me to see how God weaved his plan into my story all along. Our financial security came face to face with God and he showed us a different kind of security. 20 years later, we can look back and see that we are so grateful for God's intervention. It wasn't fun, it was uncomfortable, and it was hard, but he taught us to trust and be faithful in all things as he is faithful. We had to rebuild, but using a different foundation. Not one based on money for success and security, but one based in faith in him. The struggles drew us closer to God. My best future was right at my fingertips. And you know, I tell this snippet of my story in this series, not because I'm doing it all right, certainly. I still have so much to learn. But God taught me that when I finally let go of finding my security and what I thought I could accomplish, I could see the truth. Along the journey, God challenged us to begin to practice tithing, giving our first fruits to Him. Now, you may be listening and saying, tithing, giving 10% of your income in the midst of all this uncertainty, are you insane? No. God had taught me that my security could only ever be found in Him, who was so much bigger than any number on a paycheck. Tithing allowed my trust in God to grow. Each time I gave, we took down a piece of the wall that blocked my faith, as He shifted my priorities now to His. I'm still learning to put Him first in all things, and He still challenges me. But honestly, the journey, the friendships, the change in perspective, they were all worth it. My security is in Jesus Christ, and for that, I am grateful. Here it is in a nutshell. Being a cheerful giver positions you to be blessed as a giver, to be a blessing to those who receive and to bring glory to God by advancing His kingdom. that's, That's really where it's at. That's really where the things we deeply want most come from, is from Him. And I've said it in the beginning, I, I, I just have to say it again. It's not really something God wants from us as much as it is God wants for us. He wants us to have him as his foundation. And so he says, test me in this and see if you won't move from testing to trusting. And so here it is, 90-day challenge. Some of you have been praying about it. As I said, some people have already responded and turned these things in. This is between you and the Lord. Again, if it's your first time seeing this thing, take it home, pray about it this week. But you'll see we made it as easy as possible. You can fill it out, place it in the black box as you leave the offering box. You can use the QR code, go online. If you're online, there's an online form there for you. But here's the commitment. If you'll tie for 90 days and God does not hold true to his promises, we'll refund 100% of what you gave to the church. I've had some people say, that's just crazy. I said, no, no, I believe God's just that faithful. I believe he's true to his word. And so test them in this. Test them in this. Now, by the way, there's some conditions on there. You've got to give it away if it's trackable. If you come back in a few weeks, uh, you know, a couple months and say, I gave 400000 and, you know, we need to know you did that. So there, there's some things on there. Read it, know it. But this is between you and the Lord. And with all seriousness, with all seriousness, for some of you, taking this step I know is a huge step. But I also know you won't regret it. I believe you can take what God says to the bank. Matter of fact, it's better than the bank, especially these days. God is true to his word. Amen, church? 
So don't feel pressured unless the Spirit's telling you to do it. Don't feel pressured by me. Just know that God wants to open the door to what he wants to do in and through you through this. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for, wow, the inexpressible gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I don't want to miss the opportunity as we've looked at this, this principles of cheerful giving, of realizing there could be someone on the campus this morning or someone who's online who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior. And it may seem crazy to us to think that someone would actually make that decision after a message on the idea of giving to the Lord, but yet the reality is, is that your Spirit's working at all times. And I don't want to miss the opportunity of saying, if this is the moment where you feel that nudge just say, man, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, that they would do that, even now, in the quietness of their heart. Thank you, Lord God, for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for the new life we have with you. That is the most important decision we can make and the first decision in our faith journey. And so we would want to make that before we enter into uh, such a challenge as the 90-day challenge. God, I pray for those who have already made this commitment and those who are making that commi this commitment and those who are going to make the commitment. I pray, Lord, over the next 90 days that that you, first of all, would strengthen them because the enemy is not going to be excited about the step of faith they're taking. But also, Lord, that you would give them spiritual eyes to see your workings in their life. I, I like how, uh, in Betty's testimony, how honest she was. It's not going to be easy all the time, but, but Lord God, is, it's not about ease. It, it's about your security. It's about your peace. It's about your power. It's about being a part of something that will ripple through eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do something in our midst as we step out in this challenge, that you would do something in our midst that would reverberate through our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, this region and beyond for your glory. Lord God, that you'll be glorified and that we will be blessed in the many ways in which we're blessed so we can be a blessing in the elders in the hope that they too will know you. Thank you for meeting with us in this time of gathering. And as we scatter, Lord God, may we as your church take your hope to those who so desperately need it. In Jesus' name, amen.